All right, well, good morning again. Uh, so good to see you. Glad you're here. Uh, we are making our way down the final stretch of our journey through First Peter, a series we've been called uh, Live in Hope. And uh, as we, we've reiterated over and over, Peter is writing to churches, right? modern-day Turkey, who are, who are suffering in the face of persecution. Right? Because of their faith, they are being persecuted. They're feeling the consequences of it. And Peter is writing this letter to, in essence, encourage them to exhort them to stand firm, to endure, to, to persevere, to maintain a posture and a humility, attitude of humility towards those who are opposing them and to those who are persecuting them. And this morning, we're going to get to a section in the letter where Peter's going to talk specifically about how we as the church are to interact with one another, the kinds of relationships that, that we as believers are to have with each other. So we're going to jump right into uh, chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 7, where Peter writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So here's the, here's the main point uh, that what, what Peter's saying. Uh, the main point of today's sermon is pretty simple, pretty straightforward. We'll see why, we'll see how, but just kind of want to make this as clear as possible. It's a bit cliche, but here it is. When it comes to our relationships with one another, when it comes to our relationships with the church, with other believers, we need to be willing to work really, really hard at loving one another. We need to be willing to put in the work to do things that are difficult, to do things that are challenging in order to, to love each other, to move in the direction of what is uncomfortable, what is not easy, what doesn't come natural. A few weeks ago, uh, some of us on staff, we did a, a, a mini SoulFit workout before our staff meeting uh, led by Tina. And, uh, you know, we got together, we got the equipment set up, and as we were going into the equipment room to grab our weights, uh, Tina said, grab something heavy. Grab something that's going to be challenging and hard. And we all just kind of looked at each other, we smirked, and like little school kids, we grabbed weights that were light <laughs> and easy. I remember when I was in the fourth grade uh, during uh, reading class or English literature, we had a time that was called SSR. Silent, sustained reading. And it was a time where you could bring any book you wanted to and just read for the designated time. I don't even remember what it was. And, you know, while different kids had their novels, fiction, nonfiction, you know, I had a book that was called Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. <laughs> had lots of pictures in it. But it was a good book, very informative. Uh, but after about six months of pulling Joe Montana and Jerry Rice out of my backpack, one day, my teacher walked up to me in the most loving, kind way, suggested that perhaps it was time to get something a little bit more challenging, a little bit more difficult. See, in any relationship, and it's different with every person, every human being, 
There are some things that come easy, some things that come natural, certain relationships that just kind of click on its own, don't require any effort. And there are some things that come hard for us, some things that are difficult, some things that are challenging, certain relationships that are just hard. And what Peter is saying is that in order for the church to thrive, in order for us to be who God calls us to be, to experience what he wants us to experience, to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish, we need to be willing to do what is hard, what is difficult and challenging in our relationships. Right? Maybe it's doing something like just taking the time to get to meet someone new, someone you don't know. Maybe it's engaging with someone who's different, different age, different backgrounds, different opinions, different convictions, different personalities. Maybe it is investing time and energy in hard-to-love people. Maybe it's doing the work of reconciliation, extending an apology to someone you've once offended, extending forgiveness to someone who's once offended you. You know, maybe it's committing to someone who just seems to be faced with overwhelming obstacles and never-ending challenges. You know, maybe it's, I'll say simple, but not as simple. Maybe it's as simple as going through the snack line in about an hour, right? grabbing as many snacks as you can and place you can hold with two hands. And as you make that turn to decide where you're going to go, to just move in the direction of someone, something that seems less easy, less comfortable. Let's dive into uh, the passage, what Peter writes. Uh, verse 7, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. He says, The end of all things is near. And this idea of the end being near, it's relative. Now, there, there is a sense that in the New Testament, many of the early church did believe that Jesus would return in their lifetime. But we know it's been over 2,000 years, and he, he's yet to return. Yet when Peter says that the, the end of all things is near, what he's saying is in light of eternity, the end is near. In light of the fact that Jesus will one day return, in light of Jesus' own instruction to, to be ready for his return, Peter is saying to maintain a level of readiness, a level of focus, a level of clarity, so that we can pray. Not just pray in general, but to pray powerfully and to pray effectively. To bring certain requests to God, to invite God to speak, to seek his guidance on things that matter in eternity. One thing specifically being in the very next verse. It says, above all, love each other Deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. It says, above all, in other words, most importantly, first and foremost, love each other deeply. Now, this is the second time in this letter that Peter references this idea of loving deeply. Now, this word deeply carries the meaning of doing something with great fervency, something with determination, something with focus, something with persistence. In other words, he's referring to doing something that requires a lot of effort, a lot of intentionality, something that is challenging, something that is difficult. 
And what Peter is implying, that one thing that is difficult is loving each other, especially in light of our brokenness and our sinfulness. He says, love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, sin is what makes relationships hard. Sin has the potential to get in the way of the relationships we have with one another. And amongst us here in this room, there is a lot of sin between us and amongst us. There are things like pride and selfishness and fear and greed, materialism, idolatry that has the potential to get in the way. It is inevitable, right, that we spend enough time together, we will offend one another, we'll hurt each other, annoy each other, frustrate each other. And all of those things have the potential to bring division, bring disunity, maybe even cause ourselves to distance ourselves from from one another and from others. So when Peter says love covers a multitude of sins, he's saying work hard in loving such a way that those sins don't get in the way. That you do not allow the sins amongst you to divide you, to distance yourselves from one another. Now he's not saying to ignore sin. He's not saying to just overlook it or pretend sin is not there. We know in other parts of scripture that sin ultimately needs to be addressed. Sometimes it needs to be confronted. It ultimately needs to be confessed and repented of. But the ultimate end goal is for sin to be forgiven. If possible, for sin to be forgotten. You remember Jesus' conversation with Peter in the Gospels, Matthew 18, 21 to 22? It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? or sister who sins against me, up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations is 70 times seven times. Right? See, Peter's asking Jesus, how many times should I forget? Seven times? Seven would be a very noble, admirable amount to forgive someone. And what Jesus is in essence saying is, you just forgive more than you could even fathom, more than you can understand. You see, whenever sin makes an appearance amongst us, right, we ultimately have to choose whether we're going to distance ourselves from someone or whether we're going to draw near, whether we're going to avoid the problem or whether we're going to address the problem, whether we're going to leave the relationship, whether we're going to lean in to the relationship, whether we're going to respond with a sense of pride or we're going to respond with humility. And what Jesus is saying, what Peter is saying, is that when sin makes an appearance, move in the direction of grace, in the direction of humility. Now, just to be clear, there are certain unique situations where certain sins do require a a time of distancing and a time of separation when things like safety is on the line. So I'm not saying in those cases you just have to to move in in grace. And I'm also not saying, or Peter's not saying, that relationships that are fun and easy and natural, that those are wrong and those are bad. And we should enjoy those friendships. Praise God for those relationships. 
but we just need to be willing to also move in the direction of that is difficult and that which is uncomfortable. In verse 9, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, for the early church, hospitality was a big component of their ministry. They didn't have facilities, buildings like we do today, so they depended on people opening up their homes to do church, to worship together, pray together, study the word together, eat together, fellowship together. And they didn't do this just weekly, but oftentimes they did it daily. In addition, there would be, be visitors that would come through, traveling missionaries, teachers, and they required members to open up their homes to provide and to host a place to, to stay for those visitors. Now, first century Middle Eastern culture, hospitality was a high value. It was seen as an honor and a privilege to be able to host someone, to care for someone, to provide for someone, and it was kind of a shame to be unable, unwilling to host someone. Last summer when I got to go to the Middle East, uh, we, we stumbled across this, this home, this family, who was in the midst of hosting a bridal shower at their house. All the family relatives were there. They're dressed up. There's music. They're dancing. They're celebrating. And they invited us in to just hang out with them, celebrate with them, and enjoy that time with them. Well, as it got later and later in the evening, and, and they began to realize that they really couldn't invite us over to sleep because the family was all over the place, They called a a relative who lived five minutes away to come and get us and take us to their house. And when the relative came to get us, the family who was hosting the bridal shower, they were so apologetic that they could not host us. They felt bad and ashamed that we couldn't stay at their place, that they had to call a relative to come and get us, right? And in our minds, we're like, this is amazing, right? Don't feel bad, don't apologize, but that's still in their culture today. Hard to imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago. So when Peter says, offer hospitality without grumbling, right, we have to realize that he's writing to a group of people who are extremely hospitable. Like hospitality is a big thing in their culture. He's not telling people who are not hospitable to be hospitable. He's writing to people who are very hospitable. He says, offer hospitality without grumbling. In other words, what he's saying is to offer hospitality that goes far beyond the cultural expectations. To offer hospitality that goes far beyond your comfort level of what comes easy, of what comes natural, to do what is difficult. Do what is challenging and hard. See, hospitality wasn't just about providing a place to stay or food to eat. Ultimately, hospitality was about relationship, right? To invite someone into your home or to choose to enter someone's home, it was a way to demonstrate affection, demonstrate acceptance, demonstrate unity, solidarity. It's why Jesus would oftentimes get in hot water with the religious leaders for entering certain people's homes. And thus, to to do hospitality that was beyond your comfort zone most likely involved hosting certain kinds of people who were just hard to host. People you didn't get along with, people you disagreed with, people you were different from, people who were hard to love. And perhaps to do it more than you felt comfortable doing, 
to sacrifice more than you felt capable of sacrificing. Verses 10 to 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So Peter is saying is that the, the kind of intentionality that's needed to love well, the amount of effort that we are to exert, the kind of sacrifices that we're called to make, it's not going to come from ourselves, but it's going to come from God. By his grace, his strength, his ability. Right? He says each of us have received various gifts. Now in this context, it's not just spiritual gifts, but natural talent, ability, material resources. All of us have been given gifts by grace. In other words, they were given to us freely, we did not earn them or merit them or deserve them. And we are called to be stewards of those gifts. In other words, we're to dispense it, disperse it, share it freely to people who in our perception do not deserve it, who did not earn it or merit it. And we are to do it with the strength that God provides, Peter says, verse 11 which implies that it's going to involve us stepping into situations that are overwhelming, situations that are difficult, situations that may seem humanly impossible. Uh, there's this phrase that I've heard uh, when it comes to sports. I don't know if you've heard it before. It says, hard work beats talent. Hard work beats talent until talent works hard. Hard work beats talent until talent works hard. Right, what Peter is in essence saying is we each have been given the talent to love well. We've been given the ability. We've been given the gifts. We've been given the strength that God provides. We've been given the spirit. The choice is whether we're going to put in the work, whether we're going to move in the direction of what's challenging and difficult. Now, why was this so important for the, the early church, and why is it important for us today that we do this? Right? In other words, why? Right? Love is hard. Relationships are complicated. Why should we put in the work? Well, one, for the early church, their survival depended on their relationships. Right? The relationships they had with one another needed to thrive in order for the church to thrive. Right? They were a people who were rejected, persecuted, ostracized. Their families rejected them. Their friends rejected them. Their employers rejected them. Society, culture rejected them. And thus, they depended on one another for encouragement, for support, spiritually, emotionally, physically, materially. And thus, if they allowed things to get in the way of their relationships, to distance themselves, to bring division, to bring disunity, then who else would they have? Where else could they turn to? So the church needed to love well in order for them to survive. But secondly, the church also needed to love well in order for them to be effective, in order for them to be effective in accomplishing their purposes. Right, look what Jesus says in John 13, 34 to 35. It says, A new command I give you, a love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? If we are to fulfill our purpose in pointing people to Jesus, then we need to love each other well. Over the past few weeks, we've seen this calling, this purpose for us as a church. Remember in chapter 2, verse 12, Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Brandon talked about the kind of attitude and the kind of posture the early church was to have to people who were opposing them, persecuting them, people who treated them unfairly, unjustly, that they were to have an, an attitude and a posture of, of humility, posture of submission. Chapter 3, verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Last week, Pastor Donna talked about rejoicing in the face of persecution, opposition, suffering. All things that are extremely challenging and extremely difficult. And when I was coaching my daughter's uh, basketball teams uh, when they were younger, you know, it was recreational. So during the games, we, you know, we encourage all the kids, like, hey, if you got a good shot, shoot it, take it. You know, we want all of you to get an opportunity to shoot and score, but, you know, make sure, do your best to take good shots. Right? One, you're, you're open, right? You have time to get your feet set. Two, it's in the flow of the offense. You know, other kids get to touch the ball and you have an opportunity to take a good shot, take it. But also, even if you're open, even if it's in the flow of the offense, like, you have to kind of ask yourself, like, have I ever made this shot before? <laughs> Especially in practice, right? Like, if, if I never shoot this in practice, if I never make this in practice, then there's a good probability, not impossible, but a good probability that you're not going to make it in a game. But if, there's a shot, if this is a kind of shot that you've made in practice, this kind of shot you've taken over and over, then there's a, a good chance that you'll make it in the game, so that's a good shot. And you see, if if we cannot love one another well, if we're not willing to put in the work of loving other believers, loving those within the church, despite how strenuous and difficult it may be, there's a pretty good chance we're not going to do it well with people who, who don't know God, or more specifically, people who oppose us, people who are hard to love, people who offend us people who treat us unfairly and unjustly. Right? Because the same kind of faith and the same kind of humility, the same level of commitment, tenacity required to love believers is also the same kind of faith, humility, commitment, tenacity required to love others. Love those who oppose us, persecute us. Uh, this past week I was uh, talking to Pastor Brandon and, and one of the things we, we kind of discussed was just how challenging it's been to go through 1 Peter because the context of these churches are so different from our context. Right? Peter's writing to, to these churches who are being persecuted. 
and who are suffering because of their faith. And he's telling them to respond with compassion, humility, grace, submission. And it's hard for us because for the most part, in general, we don't face that kind of persecution, at least in this part of the world, in this time of history. And thus, it's hard for us to, to really know how we would respond right, in, in the face of persecution. Right? We'd like to believe we would respond the way Peter encourages us to respond, but at the end of the day, it's just hard to know because we're not in that situation. But you see, this is one thing we can apply to our context. How we respond to his exhortation to love each other deeply, to put into work, to move in the direction of what is challenging and difficult. Right, so how do we, how do we put in the work? Right, how do we move in the direction of what is challenging and what is difficult? As Peter said, we cannot do it by our own strength, by our own effort. And that's a big part of it, as he said in verse 7, is through prayer. Is to discern what God is calling us to do. Verse 7, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. So to close our time, I want to suggest three questions we can ask God. Come before him and just ask him and seek his guidance in our relationships so that we can grow in our love for each other. First question we can ask God is, who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to love? Who in this season of my life do you want me to move towards, pursue, put in the work at, at love? The reality is that we cannot demonstrate the same kind of love to everyone in any way. Right? Despite how much God has given us, we're all limited to how many places we could be at a given time, how much we can do, how much energy we can put forth. So who do you, who do you want me to love, God? Who do you want me to love at work? Is there anyone at school? Is there anyone in my home, under my roof? Is there anyone here at CBC? Who do you want me to love? Now, as one of your pastors, I would love to be able to say, these people in this room are who you are called to love and put in the work. But I can't, because the context then and the context now is vastly different. You see, for the early church, as they're hearing Peter write this to them, and they're hearing this instruction, for them, their church was, in essence, the church. They were the only Christians in their area. Sure, they could walk and travel for days to visit other churches. Sure, they could hear about other Christians through letters. But for all practical purposes, their church was the church. So when Peter says, love each other deeply, all they had to do was just look around and kind of know who they were called to love. Now, on one hand, perhaps it could be argued that that made things simpler. Like, you just, you just look around and you go, okay, someone here, I'm, I'm called to love. But the challenging part was that you didn't have a say. You didn't really have any other options or choices. Regardless of how hard or how difficult or how different those people were. If conflict arose, tension, these were the people you had to love. 
And it was the early church's willingness and their ability to love one another despite those differences and despite those challenges that made their witness so powerful and so effective. Now you fast forward 2,000 years to us today. Right? Like we're just one church amongst many churches on Delamo Boulevard. Right? Not to mention Pioneer and in Norwalk. So many churches, just in walking distance, not to mention driving distance, not to mention all the churches we could join online. Watch via live stream. In addition, many of us have Christian friends, family members who go to other churches that we connect with regularly and we do life with, encourage one another, support one another. There are various organizations, Christian organizations, nonprofits that we partner with, have relationships with, do life together with. So in many ways, for us today, as CBC, we're just like one tiny sliver of a small slice of pie of the whole whole pie as a whole when it comes to the church. So one blessing is that there are so many options, so many people to choose from in terms of who we are called to love, but also who has the ability to love us, who is called to love us. But one of the dangers, one of the challenges, is because there are so many options, It may be easy to avoid ever having to really put in the work at loving other believers. That when things get difficult, when things get challenging, we have the option to just leave, to move on to someone else, somewhere else. And this is why we need to ask God, We need to allow him to guide us and direct us. God, who do you want me to love? Secondly, we can ask God, how can I serve? How can I serve? Uh, What are the needs and what can I offer? Once again, for the early church, it was perhaps more simple because they could just look around, ask around, and identify the needs pretty quickly. People needed places to stay. Church needed places to gather. Disciples needed to be trained and equipped. People needed food to eat, financial resources. And then to ask God, how can I serve? How can I help? So one possible benefit was that it was easy to identify the needs. Secondly, the challenge, though, was that there weren't many options. There weren't too many choices in terms of how you could use your gifts and the kinds of people you could serve and the places you could do it. I mean, your church was was kind of it. Fast forward to us today with technology and the wealth of information that we have at, you know, we can identify the needs of other believers all over the world. And we have the ability to to serve and to use our gifts in, in helping and meet those needs. So the blessing is that there's so many options, so many things to choose from. But the challenge is that we can be tempted to always move in the direction of comfort and convenience, to avoid doing the things that are really hard and really difficult. So we need to ask God, how can I serve? What are the the needs you want me to meet? Bring those to mind. Bring people to mind, ministries to mind, needs to mind. 
and give me the strength to serve and meet those needs. Last question, and it's pretty quick. Is there anything holding me back? God, is there anything holding me back from loving the way that you desire for me to love? Are there obstacles and barriers that, that I'm unaware of? Are there certain wounds and scars that make me hesitant or resistant? Are there sins within me, like pride and selfishness and idolatry and whatever it might be, that make it challenging? Am I just too busy? Am I preoccupied, consumed with too many other things? But whatever it is, will you bring it to mind? Will you bring it to light? Will you address it? And if it's according to your will, give me the ability to overcome it, to rid myself of those things. Uh, back in 2006, um, all within about a month or so, Amber and I got married, uh, graduated from seminary, and we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where I would serve as a youth pastor in a Chinese-American uh, Baptist church. And early on in those youth ministry days, uh, I remember meeting a kid, 16-year-old kid by the name of Paul, who was just visiting our youth group, uh, but who didn't attend our church. He was just a friend of one of our, our students, of one of our family members. And he was, you know, outgoing, talkative, a little quirky, kind of one of those no-filter, in-your-face kind of people. And, you know, I was glad he was there, but he was just, you know, a, a little different. Remember one evening uh, driving him home because uh, he needed a ride home after youth group. And he began to share with me um, just some of the, the challenges and the hardships that he's faced in his life. And uh, he shared with me how um, early on in his life, how his mom uh, just left him and his dad. That one day she just, uh, whew. I even cried during practice when I'm practicing this. So. Um, one day how his mom just, you know, like any other day, gave him a hug, kissed him goodbye, and just... Just never came back. And then he shared with me how his relationship, how he's now living with his dad and his stepmom, his two stepsisters, and he shared how his relationship with his stepmom and even his stepsisters wasn't the best, to say the least. You can imagine how hard that might be. Uh, he shared about how he got teased and bullied for very re various reasons uh, at school and by peers and friends. And as I was, after dropping him off that night, um, I remember just driving home and just telling God, like, God, you need to help this kid. You need to help this kid. Right? Just bring people, support, whatever, to just help this kid. And, and in that moment, I felt as if God just said, how about you? Why not you? And the first thought was like, oh, no, like, not me. I can't, I can't love, you know, this kid. But for the past 17 years, I have tried my best. I haven't been perfect. Could have done better. There's been some highs and some lows. There's been moments of encouragement, moments of hopelessness, uh, times where I helped, times where I hurt trying to help. Times I tried to meet various needs, spiritual, physical, material, emotional, in just countless amount of hours and hours 
sharing meals together, meeting at coffee shops, you know, talking on the phone in recent years, you know, FaceTime and, and Zoom. And uh, you know, now that I'm 43 and that kid is 33, I can say that I've seen God do things in him and for him that I never imagined God doing. And I tell Paul all the time, I'm so proud of who you've become, of who you're becoming. And I'm so humbled and I'm so grateful that I got to play a small part in what God has done in your life. See, the ultimate invitation that God is extending to us is to love each other so deeply that in the end, God gets the glory. At the end of verse 11, it says, Do all this so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That we would demonstrate a love that is so profound, that is so powerful, that is so mind-boggling that people look at us and God gets the credit. Right? They don't think, oh man, that church is awesome, those Christians are awesome. They just think there must be a God and that God must be pretty good. You know, as I was preparing for this, you know, I just felt as if God, you know, just reminded me, like, this is really hard. To, to love each other is difficult, and thus, if there's any way that I've made this seem simple, you know, just remove that from your memory. I wish it were easy. I wish we could just choose to do it and just do it, but the reality is that it has to be hard. It has to be difficult so that God gets the glory. So God gets the credit. So, you know, wherever you are this morning in your faith, wherever you are, however you're feeling about this call to, to love deeply, um, we can be hopeful. We can be confident because of the love that God has already demonstrated for us. That despite the multitude of our sins, this immeasurable amount of sin that once stood between us and God, God chose to pursue us. He chose to move in our direction. Coming to earth in the person of Jesus, to be with us, to serve us, to teach us, to ultimately die for us, so that we can receive grace upon grace upon grace, simply by faith. And this is the kind of love that we are called to have. But not by our strength, not by our ability, but by his strength and his ability. So as we close our time this morning, as we move back into a time of reflection and worship, I just want us to focus on the kind of love that God has for us. To just sit in that. To ponder it. To receive it. And experience it. And if we feel led to, to ask God those questions, is there anyone you want me to love? Is there any way I can help, I can serve? Is there anything getting in the way? Will you pray with me?